Welcome Voltron fans, this is Mark Morell, your host for Let's Voltron, the official Voltron podcast. We only have two more episodes to review for season eight. So I got to bring on my co-host, Greg Tyler. Welcome, Greg. Mark, it's great to hear your voice in crystal clear Skype quality. And it's, <laughs> we had some technical issues at the beginning here, uh, but fingers crossed they're all worked out now. And uh, it's great to be back with you and with our listeners and with our returning guest. Yes, we have a returning guest. Uh, we haven't heard from her probably over a year ago. A few things have changed since then, so we can talk to her about it. So let's bring her on. Let's welcome back to the podcast, Lexi, also known as Red Lion 4 Welcome, Lexi. Hi, Mark. Hi, Greg. It's good to be back. Yeah, welcome back. So what is new in your world? Oh, my goodness. Where do I start? <laughs> uh, well, the last time we talked, um, I had, I think, just right about, I think I just found out that uh, I was expecting a, a new addition to our family, and we uh, we welcomed our own little paladin into the world this past september well congratulations that's awesome yeah congrats <laughs> thank you very much so what's his name his name is levi levi wow yes. <laughs> i see how you did that there you only moved one letter out and replaced the x with a v yeah oh, that that is true it might might be a little bit complicated we might accidentally uh open each other's mail in the future but oh well <laughs> <laughs> No, Levi's a great name. Let me see. There's uh, Zachary Levi, who happens to play Shazam. Yeah. Yeah. There's Levi Strauss. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure that he's going to get a lot of uh, jeans and branding when he's older and can wear them. <laughs> <laughs> so any other origins for Levi? You know, it's kind of funny when I was talk when I first let my students know that I was pregnant, they... Uh, Especially when they found out that it was going to be a boy, they they thought that they had a bet going of whether or not it was going to be a, a name that was familiar to me, like Lance or or Keith, um, my my two favorites from from Voltron, and uh -huh. and so then they found out that it was Levi, and and they're all convinced that um it's actually Levi Ackerman from Attack on Titan, but uh, that is <laughs> not his that is not the origin story. <laughs> we uh, we just happened to to really like the name when. Went from a list of 108 names and got down to, got down to Levi. And wow! It, it stuck. That must have been that quite a process. Cool. Um, it's a very amusing process. Yes, we had a, <laughs> a, a giant Excel spreadsheet and everything. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Did you put any pivot tables into that? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, it. It basically came down to what name would uh, sounds the most accurate when uh, or, or the most regal when it's being said across the stage at graduation, and what's got the the perfect name to to shout when you're angry at them too when they've done something oh, yeah. wrong. So very nice. Oh yeah. So we we practiced with the first name and the last name and and the middle name and Levi Levi Kenneth is what happened. All right. And it didn't take you long to get in into Voltron outfits, right? No. Um, <laughs> ironically, a former student had given me um, one of the the Voltron onesies that you can purchase. They used to be able to purchase from the store. I'm not sure if it's still there. That for Christmas, and then a month later, we found out we were having Levi. So we already had it ready to go, <laughs> which <laughs> was kind of nice. Once we 
once we did, which was perfect because it was a little tiny or a little bit too big rather because um, he was a little tiny when we did the video for the Voltron appreciation. Um, but we still got him into it. So he definitely repped Voltron. Nice. Well, if you're looking for something in the way of onesies, we have those available on our T Public store for Let's Voltron. Ooh. <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> I, we already have some Star Trek ones, so. Awesome. <laughs> First, it's like fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite amusing. It says, uh, I just boldly went. So. <laughs> nice. That is quite logical. <laughs> Uh, warp core breach, right? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we could go on, okay. but let's, let's talk Voltron. What do you say? Yeah, sounds great. Everybody that we've been having on while we've been doing our season eight episode reviews, we've asked them, okay, what did you think of season eight? And then what did you think of Voltron Legendary Defender on the whole? So what are your thoughts, Lexi? Uh, so I, you know, had just gone back to work not too much before season eight dropped, and I actually had to wait a couple weeks before I even got to to watch it. And then, of course, I binged it. Mm-hmm. I've, I've only gotten to watch it once, um, and I was a little shocked at some of the the choices of where things went and the and the plot. And I feel like I need to do it uh, justice by giving every episode a, another go around. Um, one, to, to pick up all the, the little nuances that I probably missed um, from binging. And then two, just to see if maybe my, my initial reaction uh, changed. Because there was, there was some things that uh, I was not surprised that happened. And then there were other things that I was kind of shocked that that's the, the turn that it took. So, mm-hmm. But that seems to be the overall feeling that I think most fans have had. Um, it seemed like a lot of things that happened in the the season kind of threw a lot of people for a loop, um, including myself. But uh, overall, VLD as a whole has been fantastic. And I think it's, you know, besides the original, which will always be close to my heart, it's I think it's my favorite iteration. Oh, yeah. I'd have to agree with that. Glad you enjoyed the show. And glad you're here to help us talk about an episode from it. Yes. Thank you for thinking of me. I'm so glad to be back on. Overall, are, are Keith and Lance still your favorite characters in this version? I have a soft spot for Shiro as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I really, I really enjoyed enjoyed that character. Um, Keith is not always necessarily my favorite in the, in the original. Um, I was always a huge Lance fan, and then I think I, I realized that I just kind of follow the the pilot around because the Red Lion was always been my favorite, and so anybody who pilots Red is near and dear to my heart. But I I really liked how Keith was portrayed. Um, he's, he has a little bit of a typical anime protagonist aspects to his his background story and whatnot but I, I do like the way that the character was developed over the seasons um starting with one on, all the way up to eight i wish lance had gotten a little bit more i feel like they, he was always on the verge and, and then it disappeared um but overall i would have to say it's probably like the this little trifecta of the the keith lance and shiro like i think i in some way shape or form relate to each and every one of them um, in different ways and different aspects. Like I definitely have my, my Shiro moments or my, my, my kids call it space mom moments. Um, mm-hmm. So, so there's that, but I, I also kind of have a, a little bit of a, a temper and <laughs> flare up <laughs> like Keith, but uh, I'm also, I also like Lance in, in a lot of different ways too. So 
yeah, it's it's kind of hard to, to to really pick out a, a favorite character overall in the in this series because I think I'll, they were all really well done. But it's probably that little trifecta of, of those three that I connect with the most. So, and those three just happen to be the three that actually got action figures. Exactly, which is is kind of a dangerous for my wallet, but <laughs> <laughs> oh well. I bet they're reading your mind and thought, hmm, what would Lexi buy? Let's make those. <laughs> That's Yeah, I know. I, it, it was bad enough when the Funko Pops came out with both the Paladin armor and the regular Shiro. Mm-hmm. If, if, if they came out with the regular casual outfits of the others, um, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> well, there's always hope, right? <laughs> yeah, although, I, shout out to Funko Pop, like... If you're going to do some people like a Koran and a Lotor, we, we, we need them. Yes. Like, yeah. Desperately. Yes, we do. <laughs> we need a lot of characters. That's true. So I, I still want to see uh, Burr from Clear Day. I want to see him in a, in a Funko Pop. Oh, my. <laughs> that, would, that would be an interesting one. I, I, I would like to see that as well, yes. All right. So that's your thoughts on, on Season 8 and Voltron Legendary Defender as a whole. We're going to be doing a episode review of Voltron Legendary Defenders Season 8, Episode 12, The Zenith. Now, this is not to be confused with TVs of the past, right? I mean, it's not like a Zenith brand. This is, you know, something entirely different. Because every time I think Zenith, that's what I think, is old TVs. Okay, well, what is a Zenith? Do we know? Well, funny you should ask that question. I will Google it because I can't. I could explain it, but I'd rather just read it out and just get it right. It's it's kind of <laughs> well in astronomy. It's like the the like point in the sky or like basically where where the observer is looking. It's like that that point that we we connect to. I know that, but it's always been seen as like super powerful. I know that in one of my textbooks, it talks about how like certain empires um, reached their zenith of influence at this point in time, and it's usually when they're the, that empire is the most powerful. You are clearly the teacher among us. Yes. <laughs> Because according to uh, Google, uh, whatever the default definitions are that pop up, you are right on the money. Uh, The time at which something is most powerful or successful, there you go, and in astronomy, the point in the sky or celestial sphere directly above an observer, which is kind of interesting. We, We often talk about multiple meanings of the titles of these episodes. And there are scenes on an alternate Altea where you see something happening directly above one of the Alteans on the ground on one of the you know one of the alternate Alteas. So that's kind of neat that uh, something is descending from the zenith of that Altean's perspective or from that Altean's perspective. And then of course uh, we have I almost said Hagar again, Anerva at her arguably most powerful. So well, very interesting. And Voltron too. Yeah. Right? Well, we had had uh, Joachim and Lauren on and they had mentioned that the combining of Voltron with the Atlas that happens later on in this episode was considered sort of the Zenith bot or the Zenith Tron, if you will. Uh, for when they come together, that's the most powerful Voltron that we had in this this show. Yeah, so there's that, yep. So this thing never got a name, so when we get to that, if you guys want to give it a name, I'll refer it to as that. The audio narration refers to it as a hybrid. Hmm, okay. So when we get there. 
Yeah, when, when, <laughs> whenever I take notes, I come up with names for stuff because I, I haven't actually listened to any of the audio descriptions yet. But uh, I, I wrote it down as SDV or Super Duper Voltron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I think that I I, I called it Voltus, just kind of like trying to do that Brangelina combination name. But but then I looked that up and it's like a. It's actually an Indian company for air conditioning and cooling technology, so that doesn't sound as exciting. <laughs> okay. In this episode, this one was written by Josh Hamilton, directed by Eugene Lee. The additional voices in this, we have Asher Bishop, who plays the child Lotor. We have Adelaide Clemens, who plays Merla. Kevin Durand, who plays Zarkon. Anna Gasteyer as Crolia. A.J. Locasio, maybe the soldier who sparred with Zarkon? I guess. He doesn't really get credit for what he did in this, but I think the only possibility is the soldier who sparred with Zarkon. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was supposed to be a, a young pre-cyborg Sendak, but uh, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Nolan North plays both Sam Holt and Iverson. Lily Rabe plays Anerva. Cree Summer, uh, she's listed in here, and I think maybe N7? Mm, Kimberly uh, does N7's voice. All right, so where yeah. would Cree fit in then? Oh, uh, gosh. I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. They they also didn't list what Cree Summer did in this episode, So, but she's listed as the additional voices. Yeah, they don't list any of them in the credits so we, you you pretty much have to decipher this haven't is that how you typically done it mark yeah yeah so i i was going through the whole thing of all everybody who had a speaking part and i didn't get any obvious hagar you know there wasn't really hagar in this at all but mm. isn't when didn't she do any of our nervous no she doesn't yeah. do a nerva yeah okay so mm-hmm. we also had Sean Teal, who plays Alfor, and then Iqbal Theba, who plays Slav. So the description for this one is, Confronted by a dark energy like nothing they've faced before, the paladins must draw on their everlasting bond and a few Balmera to forge ahead. That's a tough uh, synopsis. It basically means stuff happens. This is a long story. You're in the middle of it. <laughs> Go with it. <laughs> but at least they mentioned the Balmera in this because Balmera plays a big part in this. Right. Absolutely. So what we're calling the Anerva Lotor hybrid bot, the audio description calls Anerva bot. Hmm, that works. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I called it the Anerva, the Anerva Syncline Beast, but uh, right. what you just said takes less time to say. Yeah. <laughs> Anerva Bot. Anerva Bot. All right. <laughs> Let's go with that. So the Anerva Bot floats next to the pyramid and the coffin ships. Above Anerva Bot, a massive glowing ball of purple light shines. The lions hang motionless in space before the Anerva Bot. And in the black lion, Keith says, Paladins, report status. Lance says, I'm offline. Pidge says, me too. Hunk, who still has Karan, Ramel, and Tavo in his cockpit from the last episode, remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So Hunk says, uh, guys, are you seeing this? A Nerva bot's wings flare out. Lance says, what are those things doing? Pidge says, that's how she's getting in. Keith says, what do you mean? 
Pitch says, Anerva, she's using those wings to pierce the barriers between realities. It's her entry point. So, any idea how she might have figured that out? The wings are pointy and they poke stuff, uh, <laughs> In- yeah, including I mean, when, reality. <laughs> I mean, anytime I try and get through, like, really hard plastic and whatnot, the first thing I do is grab a sharp object and kind of point. So, maybe alternate realities are just kind of like a cling foam that you need to poke through. I don't know. I, you- you know what? I bet they're really, really fine sheets of paper because goodness knows what how paper cuts. You know? <laughs> Razor sharp. Yes. So uh, Shiro, who's on the Atlas Bridge with the alarms blaring, says, Alora, come in. Are you there? In a dark hallway on the Atlas, Alora's using her jetpack to get to Blue Lion. Alora says, Shiro, I read you. Anerva combined her beast with Lotor's syncline. She has the Comet Ore, and with it, the ability to traverse realities. I'm headed to my lion now. Now, Karan, who's in Yellow Lion, says, Our universe is collapsing, just like the day we lost the Castle of Lions. Those wings are causing the very fabric of our reality to disintegrate. Hunk says, Then we're going to stop that thing before it breaks through. And he moves his right control forward, and he says, Yellow Lion's back. Key says, Hunk, get your passengers back to the Atlas. Hunk says, copy that. And the Yellow Lion heads toward the Atlas. So with Yellow Lion going towards the Atlas and Alora still having to get to Blue Lion, that leaves only three lions out there. Yeah, but you know, if they formed whatever they could of Ultron at this point, at least he'd be symmetrical. <laughs> well, with three parts, they could form Gladiator Voltron. Uh, that's true. And, you know, given how many mutations Voltron goes through in this show and the various other mechs, who knows? Maybe it could happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, Albagas. Yes, yes. All right. Oh, I, might, I wanted to mention, Greg, you had posted some pictures of the GX-88. I wanted to mention that. Oh, yes. So, there's some website seemingly out of Italy based on the URL where someone has posted newer pictures of the upcoming Bondi Soul of Chogokin GX-88 Vehicle Team Voltron or Die Rugger. These are new pictures of an unpainted uh, prototype or test shot or something showing some of the diecast content seemingly. Uh, it shows the assembled robot as well as the uh, the three fighters, the Strato Fighter, the Aqua Fighter, and the Turbo Terrain Fighter. And let me say, they look cool. Yeah, when we saw the pictures from Toy Fair, we saw a whole bunch of the singular pieces of the 15 different pieces, Mm -hmm. and they were all in full color, but we never saw a whole combined vehicle Voltron. Yeah, and so the the quality of the image is not very good, so there's a lot that you can't see in the image, Mm -hmm. but uh, what can be seen looks really, really nice, and uh, yeah, I'm totally looking forward to it. And we are still expecting that sometime this summer. Uh, I don't know. They have not announced a release date for that one. They have announced a release date of sometime around May or summer for the re-release of GX-71, which is the Lion Force Voltron or Go Lion. So that's coming soon. Die Rugger's release date, as far as I know, has not yet been announced. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Yep. Very cool. All right. So now we've got three lions facing off against what? Okay, we'll get right to that. So we are now inside Robies. Two Altaians open their eyes. And Anerva says, My loyal warriors, Merla proved disloyal. 
She turned her back on our mission and the future of Altea, but you two have remained by my side, and you will know true victory. The glory of Altea will be yours. She's not really good at giving pep talks, is she? <laughs> They're sipping the Kool-Aid. <laughs> she doesn't have to be any good at it. <laughs> Honestly, I just, they're like, yep, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's not a lot of emotion behind her voice. And when you say drinking the Kool-Aid, there's nothing that's making me want to jump up and say, oh, yay, let's go, go yeah. team. Yeah, yeah she yeah, is not not a motivational speaker. <laughs> no, no, she she could t definitely take a, a thing or two from, from Keith. I think he's got a pretty good one at the end of this episode, so. So basically, after Inerva gives her big motivational speech, the Robies draw their sickles and fly towards the lions. In Green Lion, Pidge says, Those Robies are headed our way. The lights turn on in Green Lion, and Pidge says, Ah, just in time. My lion's responding. Woohoo! Just in time. <laughs> That's <a> con <laughs> convenient. Yeah, the uh, the Nick in time whiz bang thingamajig uh, kicks in at exactly the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> So the lights turn on in Green Lion, then in Red Lion, who roars, Lance says, mine too. And then the Black Lion's eyes glow yellow, and the three lions face the Robeasts. Keith says, Alora, do you copy? Can you get to your lion? We're going to need Voltron. Alora says, hold on, I'm coming. Shiro says, in the meantime, the Atlas has you covered. So we're back in the Atlas hangar. And Karan says, wait, what about the collapsing universe? We need to stop it. And then Yellow Lion takes off. So Hunk's heading back to with the other lions. So I got to say very quickly, only in sci-fi do you get a statement like, wait, what about the collapsing universe? <laughs> I love those lines. <laughs> it's not something you hear every day. That's all. <laughs> and not only that, but this is the second time this has happened with these guys. Yeah. I mean, it should be like... Yeah, yeah, we've done this before, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Act like it's an inconvenience. Like, oh, guys, not again. All right, who, <laughs> who let the universe collapse this time? <laughs> Love it. The last time we had to sacrifice the Castle of Lions for that. What do we do this time? Well, the Atlas is probably bigger. You've got that pyramid you could shove in there. Uh, all sorts of great stuff. <laughs> I'm going to mention Babylon 5 once more. Can I please? <laughs> so it just this line of, wait, what about the collapsing universe? It reminds me of, uh, there's a line in Babylon 5 where uh, Bruce Boxleitner's character, John Sheridan, he's addressing these really ancient and really powerful aliens. And, you know, they could swat all of humanity like a, like a collective fly. And he basically, he has this big, long speech. And then at the end, he says, now get the hell out of our galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I just, I love lines like that. They're just so sci-fi-y. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I like what Keith says. Keith says, Karan, we're counting on you to figure something out. Karan's <laughs> well, like, I don't know anything about that. Like, what? What do you mean me? Why is it my job? <laughs> right. <laughs> Although, to be fair, he's the one who came up with the idea to detonate the Castle of Lions. So, that's, you know. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Keith says, well, if you don't know, then find someone who does. We need to stop that weapon before it breaks through realities. And then the lions hit the Robeasts. Keith says, do everything you can to keep the Robeasts distracted. Let's give the Atlas a shot. Hunk and the others are together again now. Shiro says, Atlas crew, prepare for transformation sequence. 
A massive shield materializes on Yellow Lion's back, then it rams into a row beast. Lance says, nice shot. The row beast tumbles backwards, stands up straight, and heads back toward the lions. The black lion flies toward the Anerva bot and transports through one of the row beasts. When I say transports, you know what I mean. It just sort of like disappears and comes through out the other side. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, those bladed wings pop out. It sort of phases through, kind of like, uh, who's it, Shadowcat from the X-Men right. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Keith says, guys, I'm going in to stop Anerva. The Black Lion approaches the Nerva bot, which holds up its left hand, and Anerva says, still, like telling a dog to stay. <laughs> and that's exactly what the Black Lion does. <laughs> so it works. It's because a, a dark purple circle appears around the Black Lion, which freezes. And Keith, with this purple electricity all around, says, no. And then the Nerva bot punches the Black Lion. Well, that ain't fair hitting me while I'm down. Mm, yeah, what's up with that? Well, at this, at this point, can we really count on Anerva to fight fair? <laughs> no, 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 no. So there was this old Bugs Bunny cartoon where Elmer Fudd is trying to get Bugs Bunny. And at one point, Bugs Bunny turns his back to Elmer and says, Only a big fat rat would shoot a guy in the back. <laughs> so after that... <laughs> Elmer shoots him, and there's this big puff of smoke and everything around, and then Elmer says, so I'm a big fat rat. And then Bugs Bunny <laughs> comes out of the smoke and says, ah, have some cheese, rat. And he stuffs <laughs> a block of cheese in Elmer's mouth. Nice. I love, love Looney Tunes. So apparently Elmer's around the same as Anerva, so. <laughs> love it. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to think of a nerve in the same way again. Thanks a lot, <laughs> Okay. So aboard the Atlas, Karan, Tavo, and Ramel are moving down the hallway while Iverson shouts over the PA, MFE pilots, report to your hangars. Stand by for launch. Karan says, I have an idea how we can stop the collapsing of space-time. I'll grab Slav and Sam. You two get the Altaians and meet me here in ten doboshes. We know what that is, right? Minutes, I think, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. About 10 minutes. So the yellow lion flies past a Robies to draw its fire. Hunk says, now, Pidge. The green lion fires at the massive purple light above the Anerva bot, and a Robies attacks the green lion. Pidge grunts. The black lion slams into the Robies just before it hits green. Keith says, fall back. In its thick robot form, Atlas punches a Nerva bot. <laughs> kind of like slows down in slow motion so you can kind of see it too. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, although it doesn't have to slow down much because Atlas is pretty darn slow. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. It might, be, it might have sped it up for that shot. You never know. <laughs> Don't look now, but I'm rearing back to punch you. Don't move <laughs> out of the way. Have you ever seen, uh, remember the Gorn from classic Star Trek? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. That big reptilian. And he swings his arm around so slow. I mean, Kirk could have ran three circles around him in that amount of time, but uh, he doesn't. <laughs> well, they had to speed up the choreography to 60 frames per second. Yes, that's it. <laughs> sort of like when Steve Austin was running in slow motion and he was actually going about 60 miles an hour. Yes. <laughs> Love it. 
So, aboard the Atlas, Shiro is actually sweating, and he says, Alora, now's your chance. Alora flies out of the Atlas toward the lions. Keith says, we can't get past them, so we're going to have to defeat them. Paladins, on me. Form Voltron. So Voltron forms in a full combining sequence. We didn't get shortchanged on this at all. Is this the last time that it happens? I was going to say, I think this is the last time. Yeah, we've been saying that a lot in in a, a few of our things. Uh, like a couple episodes ago, it was the last time that we ever saw all seven of them together in one room. Mm-hmm. And now we have the last time they form Voltron. Grr, arg. Yeah. After the full combining sequence, Voltron draws its sword. Alora says, remember, those weapons can siphon our energy, so we need to avoid a direct hit. The shield forms from the wings on Voltron's back. The Robeast attacks, and Voltron blocks with the shield and hits with the sword. Then Keith says, Pidge, arm cannon. Pidge grunts and slams her Bayard into her console. A massive cannon appears on Voltron's left arm. Voltron fires the cannon at the Robeast. Another Robeast appears and swings its sword at the other Robeast, blocking it from hitting Voltron. Yes, and this Robeast, which I did not realize until the very uh, until last week when I was preparing for the previous episode review, this Robeast is missing one arm. Yes, I missed it until this t- until uh, just last week. Yes, and Pidge says it's the Altaian. So we get a big split screen with two Altaian pilots in the top left and the five paladins in the bottom right. The one Altaian pilot has a surprised look on his face while the other one has a stern look on her face. And Lance says, why is she helping us? What I want to know is, how does Lance know the pilot's a she? Great question. And, and frankly, how does anybody know anything about who this is? It, it's the Altaian. They're right. all Altaians. Right. <laughs> and as far as I could tell in the previous episode, I again, preparing for the previous episode review is the first time I finally realized that this, this uh, Altaian has to be Merla. I mean, it seems so bloody obvious in the previous episode that she was killed. Uh, and then, well, here she is. You know, how, yeah, how do they know anything about this one? I mean, with all these Altaian rubies flying around, what makes this one special? So, I don't know. Maybe Lance just has a, a radar for females or something, but... Yeah, the next future Mrs. Blue Lion, that's right. Yeah, so he says, why is she helping us? And then the Robies fight each other. And then inside her Robies, Merla, who wasn't killed, but where did she come from this whole time? I have no idea. Merla says... Please do not harm them. They were misguided, much like I was. We all were. (laughs) We drank the Kool-Aid. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. (laughs) So remember, these were the Altaians who were like the Acolytes. They did this fully of their own free will, and they didn't get the implant of the entity like the others did. Right. So... Voltron strikes one of the Robies with his sword, and a pilot capsule floats by. And Keith says, pilot capsule still intact. They didn't kill him. They, they kept him alive. This is, the, this is like the uh, A-Team moment where, you know, all the vehicles that chase after the A-Team van, all the military jeeps and all that, you know, flip over and all that. And then they cut to show that the, uh, the driver gets out safely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody ever gets killed. That's right. So, from afar, a Nervabot fires a laser past Voltron, then another Robeast attacks Voltron. 
Insider bot Anerva looks at a view screen. Anerva says, no. And Anerva bot punches the Atlas in the head. On the bridge of the Atlas, on the comm, Karan says, we didn't an escort to Anerva's pyramid structure. Shiro says, what? Right now? Slav says, yes. The sooner we go, the higher the probability that we can use the Altaians to stop the impending space-time rupture. Imagine Slav talking about probabilities, huh? Hard to believe. Kind of out of character for him, really. <laughs> yeah, highly improbable. <laughs> so Karan says, it's actually similar to how we stopped the rupture when Voltron entered the quintessence field. Sam says, only this time that superstructure will be the energy amplification conductor and the Altaians will be the energy source. Karan says, oh, we're still working out how to transfer the quintessence into the structure, but, you know, some things are just going to have to be figured out on the fly. This is when uh, you wish you had low torque, because, uh, you know, he figured out how to turn them into batteries, and I think he might know a thing or two about how to make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah when he created that second colony? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, quote, second colony, unquote, yeah. Which it's it's kind of ironic that <laughs> that this is what we're doing with the Altains again. We're like, this is terrible. We can't use them as an energy source, but we also need them as an energy source. Yeah, yeah, but they seem to be willing participants this time, at least. That that is the, that is a big difference. Yeah. So the question is, don't they still have those entities inside them? Oh, entity shmanity! You're supposed to forget about that. Okay. You're, you're supposed to remember that Voltron has saved all of realities just one season ago, enough that uh, this explanation here makes sense. Well, this time we're going to do this instead of that, uh, but uh, forget the entities. <laughs> <laughs> okay, does anybody have a spare Altaian I can use? I need to get my phone up to a full charge. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Shiro says to Curtis, get a team in place. In space, the Roby swings both sickles at Voltron, who holds up a shield and blocks. Merla's Robeast rams into the other Robeast, then Voltron cuts the Robeast in half. Keith says, final Robeast out of commission. Now, surrounded by the MFEs, a passenger ship flies toward Anervabot. Inside the passenger ship, Sam, Karan, Slav, and Ramel stare out the view screen. In space, Anervabot hits the Atlas in the chest as Voltron flies toward the portal. Keith says, Hunk, form cannon. A cannon appears on Voltron's right shoulder. Now Hunk, grunting as they get closer to the portal, says, I've got lock. Then there's darkness and a bright light and a huge explosion. Let's get something straight here. Voltron did not actually have time to fire, right? Uh, yeah, that's the impression I had, but uh, who knows? From what I understood, Voltron never fired because Anerva did this first, right? I think so. That That's the impression I got from that episode, or see, that, that scene, is that he was about to fire. There was a few people that were thinking Voltron fired, and that's what caused this huge explosion. Yeah, I think that the, it's it's... It happens so quickly. It's like, you know, Han or Greedo, Han or Greedo. Uh, well, that depends. Is it the original trilogy? Well, it's obvious. DVDs, Blu-rays, really not that obvious. Uh, yeah, it, it happens so quickly here, it's hard to tell. Just remember, Han shot first, and so did Anerva. On, Han, on, Han. <laughs> Got it? So it's like 
So I'm thinking of three PO and the Empire Strikes Back. It sounds like Han. It sounds like <laughs> Hanerva. <laughs> right. <laughs> Love it. So yeah, this big explosion and everything. And so a horn on a Nerva bot's head glows as she hovers before a massive swirling portal. Alora opens her eyes and says, Anerva has pierced realities. Everyone on the Atlas watches as Anervabot holds its hand above its head and clenches its fist. Purple wing-like blades appear around Anervabot, then it flies into the portal. Bright light, then she's gone. Oof. So, if Voltron had gotten the chance to fire before this happened, do you think it would have stopped everything? Nope. Not at all. No, no nope. probably not. Because drama. <laughs> yeah. So Key says, come on, we're going in. Atlas, stay on me. Karan says, uh, I'm afraid the Atlas can't do that. Pitch says, Karan's right. It isn't made out of the same ore. It can't traverse realities. Key says, then we're going in alone. Slav says, actually, that appears to be problematic as well. Keith says, what? Slav says, the statistical likelihood of Voltron succeeding against Anerva in a one-on-one -on -one battle is well below improbable. Yes. <laughs> Tell us something we don't know, Slav. <laughs> One, two, three, yellow. And Alora says, we'll have a better chance then if we don't try it all. And then there's a bright light and then eight chunks of glowing Earth surround Voltron and the Atlas. Alora says, Balmera! Then on each chunk of Balmera, Balmerans look up at Voltron and the Atlas, including Shay and her family. Yay! Yay, Shay! Shay to the rescue! That's right. Now we see Karan, Slav, Sam, and Ramel, and the Altaians, they were all on Captain Aaliyah's ship. We didn't know that from the first look at it. And then Matt and N7 are there as well. Yep. The whole gang. The whole gang, that's right. But we never hear from Captain Aaliyah or Matt. So Lance says, what's going on? Karan says, it's a convoldrum, the converging of Balmeras. So do we really know what a convoldrum is? Yeah, it's a converging of Balmeras. <laughs> okay, but I mean, in real life, is there such a word as a convoldrum? I don't believe so. Let's find out. Google, don't fail me now. <laughs> I want to know if there's such thing as a convoldrum. It's a worth a Google. Uh, no, it is not. The only matches are Voltron matches. <laughs> but it does make you wonder, okay? I mean, if there's a term for a converging of Balmera, then there must be some reason that has nothing to do with this episode for why they would come together in such a way that this would be this would get a name right i mean it doesn't take long to say a convergence of balmera so if it happens infrequently no one would bother to give it a name or a term but uh, it makes you wonder and in nature what would cause a group of balmera to come together like that yeah, it's a it's a confusing question kind of it's it's like a conundrum ah <laughs> i think that is a real word <laughs> I think we should ask the history teacher, when was the last time a convoldrum actually took place? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, it depends on, are we, are we looking at uh, Earth standard timescape? Are we looking at Altaian? Because the, the 
the time frame might be a little bit different. I, I'm I'm sorry, I'm a little weak on my my Altaian history. I'm I'm about ten thousand years behind. <laughs> Good one. I think this is a story that's perfect for a comic book. That would be a great spinoff. Yes. I think it, at some point there should be a comic book issue where we actually had the original time that a convergence of Balmeras took place where they were able to call it this convuldrum. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's a, a sci-fi movie called When Worlds Collide. Maybe we could have a, When Balmeras Converge. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And when the earth stood still. There you go. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So Lance says, what called them here? Hunk says, Shay. <laughs> the power of love. That is what I interpreted that as. <laughs> it's like Hunk must have been thinking about Shay, and that's what brought them there. Nice. So on their chunks of earth, when I say earth, I just mean dirt. Okay. <laughs> Rock, dirt, crystals. Yeah. Yeah. With closed eyes, the Balmerans kneel on the ground and place their hands on the earth. The earth glows. They glow in a circle, then a bright light, and all the Balmeras are sending their blue light to the center of the circle around the Voltron and the Atlas. The Paladins are all grunting and screaming, and the same with those on the Atlas. The Voltron and Atlas glow, then a light slowly pulls Voltron toward the Atlas. Voltron and the Atlas merge into one massive robot. The Voltron-Atlas hybrid takes on characteristics of Voltron and of the Atlas, with the body resembling the Atlas and the head resembling Voltron. The hybrid spreads out wings on its back. What do you think of this thing? It's... <laughs> have you guys ever seen uh, Gurren Lagann? No, but we have heard about it from other people that have been on the podcast before. I can't say I have, no. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, because Logan is the head and Garen's the body, so it's it's that's that's what when I was watching it, um, that's that's uh, my friend's first thought. She texted me as she was watching it. She's like, "Are you watching this at the same time? Because this is this is exactly what we're thinking of." My first thought was, "This reminds me uh, of like the Sailor Moon transformations." Okay. <laughs> to be quite honest, in what series like the Sailor Moon S or R? But there there's a part where all of the Sailor Guardians surround. Sailor Moon in the very same kind of way and then she goes into one of her like ultimate forms so mm -hmm. that's that was what I was thinking you know when I first saw the Atlas develop the ability to transform a vehicle that humans built with a combination of human and Altaian technology it suddenly has this magical ability to turn into a robot my first thought was visually this is cool logically this makes absolutely no sense <laughs> the same is true here i mean it makes zero sense yes it's magic just go with it uh but my next thought was what's next turbo team <laughs> <laughs> do you guys remember turbo team yes yeah so it was a, a very short-lived thankfully cartoon in the 1980s about a teenage boy who somehow gets irradiated or struck by lightning or god only knows what he uh, merges somehow with his Camaro. <laughs> yes. And when he's immersed in, I think it's hot water or cold water, one or the other, he morphs into his car. Right. And then when the other thing happens, he morphs back into a person. <laughs> yeah. And the, the funny thing is you see him as he turns into the car. It's almost like he gets down on his knees and he leans forward and the back end of his, his his legs and everything come become the back end of the car. 
and then his head turns into like the mouth of the car which is like the hood and the and the radiator yeah like the bonnet yeah his his yeah. hands and feet become the tires yeah exactly as you've described his butt seemingly although it's pointed <laughs> away from the camera becomes the trunk so he yeah. literally it, it, literally people put junk in the trunk uh, <laughs> but, but, but anyway, I mean, I mean, I love, I mean, visually, this stuff is cool to see in Voltron. I mean, wow. I mean, the Atlas has a mech mode and, you know, a nervous robot has combined with a syncline beast and, you know, the Atlas has merged with Voltron. This looks really cool, but it, it all takes a lot of hand waving and okay. <laughs> so, you know. So, of course, there's all types of reactions. Of course, the Robin reaction would be, Holy giant robots, Batman! <laughs> I, 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 I was kind of on the lines of Koran with the Quiznack, like what? Yes. <laughs> so Koran says Quiznack with wide eyes. Shay and the Balmerans look up at the hybrid. It stops glowing. We see it in full color. And Shiro says, "What just?" Hunk says, "Whoa." Lance says, "No way." Pidge, laughing, says, "This is crazy." So where is everybody? Okay, Voltron is what three hundred feet tall, give or take. Right. And each pilot is inside of one of the lion's heads. And now, and and of course, the Atlas still has a pretty full crew complement, presumably. I mean, yes, the Rebel ship left, the MFBs left, but we can't see the other people that used to be on the bridge of the Atlas. We can only see Shiro now, who's got his own controls now. Yeah, so where are they in this gigantic robot? I'm guessing the head. I'm still, I'm, I'm guessing the head, and it's more sort of like Power Rangers now, right? Well, I mean, they're still in separate places. Uh, you know, in the, in the Power Rangers, the shtick is that everyone somehow moves through little tubes from the heads of their zords into the chest of the robot or the head or someplace. I don't know. But but they're all sitting together and, and you know, kind of like they're in a den or something, you know, <laughs> pushing a few buttons or whatever. But but the Voltron thing is that they're all still in their individual modules. So we've got a 300-foot robot, which is merged with a robot that is many times larger than it is. They're all still in separate places but where are they now is lance still in the much much larger right hand of this new mech keith is usually in the head of voltron if shiro's in the head of this thing where's keith i i, I don't know <laughs> i i just want to be on voltron's tattoo that's where i want to be <laughs> yeah i I wonder if uh, Curtis and colleen and all the other people got kind of stuffed into a broom closet somewhere <laughs> i don't know so i don't know I, there's there's got to be something to it. I mean, just like in when the in Robotech, the SGF one transfers and they have to go into certain areas of the the ship when they're in the city. Right. There's maybe maybe there's something on the 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 backside that we're not seeing, and everybody's going into specific areas that are located in the the thighs or other protected areas. Yeah. Well, the, right. the Atlas is thick, so yeah, there's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> so. Alora basically says what we are all thinking. I don't know what just happened, but now we have a chance. Keith says, let's stop Anerva. Shiro says, Karan, we'll need you to secure the area and find a way to suppress this rift. Karan says, yes, sir. So Shiro and all the paladins at the same time push their controls forward and scream. And yes, Shiro has controls now. Yay. <laughs> and the hybrid flies toward the portal. 
the MFEs in Captain Aaliyah's ship fly toward the pyramid. Karan watches from the window and says, Wait, I know how to get the Altaian energy into the structure. He tells Captain Aaliyah, Drop Sam, Slav, and I off at the pyramid. Then I'll need you to take the Altaians to the Balmera. Slav says, You're wearing the right socks today, aren't you? <laughs> and then Karan just frowns at Slav. So the hybrid that we're calling now, the, the Voltron mech, Atlas, Voltron Atlas hybrid. <laughs> the super galaxy die Voltron mecha. I, yeah, who knows? The SDV, super duper Voltron, like that's right. Said. <laughs> and what uh, Joaquim and Lauren called the Zenithtron. Okay, so we'll just call it the hybrid. <laughs> that works. The hybrid goes through the portal. It exits the portal above a planet. With wide eyes, Alora stares at the planet through a view screen. Alora says, is this? Pitch says, it's an alternate Altea. Lance says, and it looks like this reality is crumbling just like ours. Hunk says, how come it's disintegrating so quickly? Pitch says, those wings created some sort of cosmic tunnel in one blast. The rift must lead directly to the reality Anerva's been looking for. Shiro says, and any reality that those wings bored through is falling apart. So uh, take a left at that reality, go straight through this reality, and uh, hang a right at the uh, 7-Eleven. You can't miss it. <laughs> and don't take a wrong turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I should have taken that left turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Keith says, we have to keep going. Altaians from this alternate reality watch as the hybrid robot flies through the portal. Now, inside the pyramid, Slav, Sam, and Karan enter the bridge. Karan grabs the two podiums and brings up a holographic console. He says, we must hurry. Sam, at another console, says, okay, I think this is it. Powering the amplification module. Slav says, I'll redirect the target to the rift. If we hit it with enough energy, it should seal. Karan says, are the Altaians in place? N7 says, they are set. Now you see Altaians and Balmerans are kneeling and touching the ground of a Balmera with their eyes closed. On the alternate Altea, an Altaian man looks over a hill at the disintegrating land before him, and the hybrid flies over top of him. Alora says, all these innocent lives... There's no limit to what Anerva will do, or the lives she'll tear apart to get what she wants. This is where we've got the name of our episode, if, if we're thinking about the, the zenith, with that Altaian looking up above at the celestial sphere. Yep. Yes. That's it. Okay. <laughs> it kind of looks like this alternate altered. It, it first reminded me of um, uh, Infinity War, when it's, as it's disintegrating, it's like, Voltron, I don't feel so good. Yeah, that's what all these alternate realities are saying as they disintegrate. But this is much more than 50% of the population. I, I was going to say, I don't know if uh, Thanos would agree with this or not. No, he wouldn't. Probably not. Thanos is probably looking at Anerva and saying, damn, girl. <laughs> He's like, whoa, take a step back. Like, right. <laughs> You're not yourself. Eat a Snickers. Yeah, nice. you're mean and you destroy realities when you're hungry. 
So Shiro says, that's why we need to stop her. The hybrid robot flies to the next portal. Alora says, even then, I fear she started a chain reaction that can never be undone. That line, do you see that portrayed a little bit further down towards the end of the, the whole show? There's definitely a lot of foreshadowing of, of what's, what's to come. Yes, exactly. There's some foreshadowing in this line. Yes, yes. But then it's undone. Mm-hmm. Oops, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so aboard the pyramid, Karan says, We're in place. Balmeras, channel your energy into the pyramid. Light jumps from the Balmeras into the center of the circle where the pyramid is, and then from the tip of the pyramid to the portal rift. Karan says, Yes, it's working. The channeled energy from the Balmeras seems to be holding the rift together. The hybrid Voltron Atlas, the hybrid travels through another portal. On the other side, one of the blades of the Innervabot hits the hybrid in the head. Inside the hybrid, Keith clenches his jaw. Keith says, countermeasures! Innervabot throws a glowing black ball at the hybrid, somersaults, then hits the hybrid with its tail. The hybrid slams into the ground. Hovering in the sky above the hybrid, Innervabot hurls another black ball at the hybrid. Keith says, form sword! The hybrid hits the black ball with its sword. Anervabot swerves out of the way of the ball. The ball explodes in the sky behind Anervabot. And then the hybrid forms a massive gleaming sword and spins it above its head, then points it at Anervabot. So just this this big battle there after they caught up with Anervabot. Yep. Do we think there's any chance that they could beat Anervabot at this point? Seems like they're, they're, they might have a, sh- a chance. I mean... Big swords usually tend to uh, level the playing field a tad bit. At least it did in uh, Final Fantasy VII, because <laughs> <So, laughs> Cloud has the Buster Sword. That's what it reminds me of. So, so, so how big is the sword in that game? Because good lord, that sword that this hybrid is using is huge. Yeah, and it's not just huge because the robot is huge. It's big for the robot. I mean, it, it looks like he's like it's lifting half of itself. It with one hand, you know what I mean? It's huge. He's not using it to butter bread, that's for sure. They, uh, <laughs> I, I think somebody, because I, I, I just was in a convention and somebody had one, and they said that uh, they they built it, it's like around like five to six feet long. Wow. And like in real life, if it were to exist, it would uh, weigh 80 pounds. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, this was part of a costume? Yeah, theirs was uh, made out of foam, um, but uh, there's, but it, theirs was like a five five to seven foot long. But there's um, there's a group of metal smithers that um, they're on a show called Man at Arms. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. aware of that. And, and and they built the Buster Sword, and wow. I think that they said that it was at the end weighed about eighty pounds. Wow. So there comes a point where, okay, you call it a sword, but what is it really? <laughs> And that's how I felt with this thing. I mean, it looks neat to see this ginormous robot holding an, an even more ginormous <laughs> sword, but good gravy. It's like, what can you really do with that? It's not even a good club. <laughs> okay. So in Karan's reality, Altaians and Balmerans are still kneeling with their hands on the ground and eyes closed. On the bridge of the pyramid, Sam turns to a view screen and says... Our current power level isn't enough to maintain the rift. Karan says, then we'll hold it as long as we can. 
Every tick gives Voltron a chance. Then you hear Crolia over the comm saying, Karan, it's Crolia. What can we do to help? A bunch of Galra cruisers just pop in out of light speed around the Convuldrum. Karan says, Crolia, Kolivan. Oh, thank the ancients, you're here. We need all the energy we can harness to prevent the rift from expanding further. Crolia says, copy that. Galra fleet, adjust the frequency of your ion cannons and aim at the pyramid structure. You know what I'm thinking at this point? Bye-bye, Koran. <laughs> no, I'm thinking ion cannons? Come on, let's bring out the big guns. Give me the Zyforge cannons. Well, yeah, that'd be kind of cool, but I, I guess they didn't have any in their cargo bays. Or did they? Did anybody ask? <laughs> I mean, if... if uh, you know, if Lotor's generals can have one on that ship, that that, that uh, Galra cruiser, why not these people? Oh. Right. The Galra cruisers fire at the pyramid, and the beam hitting the rift is now larger. In the hybrid's reality, a Nervabot flies up into the sky, spreads its wings, and then fires at the hybrid. Lasers rain down on the hybrid, knocking it to the ground. The hybrid rises again and then fires a massive laser at a Nervabot, who throws another black ball at the hybrid, smacks the hybrid with its tail. The hybrid falls to the ground. A Nervabot towers over the hybrid, thrusting two blades into it to keep it down, then shoots lightning-like jet streams to the hybrid. All the paladins are screaming. Nerva has an insane evil look on her face. Yeah, it's very uh, Lotor-like when he was all crazy with the quintessence. Yeah. Yeah. So, in Karan's reality, on the Pyramid Bridge, Karan stares out the view screen at the portal. He says, Come on, please, a little longer. Voltron needs us. Then there's an explosion on one of the coffin ships, and he goes, Ah! So, it appears things are starting to break up a little bit there. So, in the hybrid's reality, Anerva glares at the hybrid and says, This is where it ends for you. We, we know that it's not, though, because we have a... Uh, about eight minutes left of this episode. <laughs> Spoiler! Yeah, yeah. It is funny to hear those lines sometimes. I mean, it's the end. Really? <laughs> we got eight minutes and another episode! <laughs> so this is her big plan. She's just going to leave them sitting there on the ground, and she's going to go through the portal, and this reality is going to be destroyed, and the hybrid with it. That's her plan. Nervabot flies up into the sky and through the portal. The hybrid lifts its head briefly, then falls back down to the ground. Inside the hybrid, Lance lifts his head. He's groaning and panting, and he says, We need to get up. That's almost Kirk-like. We need to get up. <laughs> awesome job, man. Uh, Hunk says, I can't move. Shiro says, The ship's not responding. Laura says, Nerva, she's absorbed all of our strength. Pidge says, this reality, it's over. The reality is disintegrating around them. And then Keith sits up. Are we ready for the Keith speech? Yes. Yes. Bring, bring it on. This is like the Keith of old, okay? <laughs> That's exactly what I thought of. Yes. Come on, Neil Ross, where are you? We need you Yes. <laughs> so Keith says, we've always done the impossible. Our strength is our bond. Our power comes from each other. As long as we're a team, we stand a chance. Sendak, Zarkon, Lotor, 
We've saved our universe countless times, but now all the realities are in need of Voltron. So this isn't the end just yet. We need to get back up and stop Minerva once and for all. Good speech, you, right? Yeah, you know what they need in their, their cockpits? They need motivational posters. Because <laughs> Voltron gets his... Hang in there! Yeah, yeah, it's like robot. Or he gets his robot handed to him many times when he fights all these giant beasts, and all the paladins have to do is open their eyes, and up on the ceiling would be, "You can do it with teamwork. All is possible." <laughs> and then, bam! Just get right back up. You wouldn't need a speech. <laughs> you know what can't be beat? Someone who never gives up. There you go. There's no lose in team. <laughs> So the hybrid's eyes light up, then it slowly climbs to its feet. Standing now, the hybrid spreads its wings. Keith says, fire boosters. The hybrid flies toward the portal. Back to Koran's reality, the beam that's heading towards the portal flickers. Aboard the bridge on the pyramid, Sam winces. Sam says, the Galra fleet have depleted all their energy, and the Bulmerans and Altaeans are at their limit. At this rate, we won't be able to contain the rift. Karan gasps and his eyes widen as he sees the portal shining bright white. Now back to the hybrid. As the hybrid flies towards the portal, the reality disintegrates around them and they clench their jaws. The hybrid uses all its power to fly toward the portal. Reality disappears above it, then darkness. You see Keith's one eye widen as it looks like he can't believe they didn't make it in time. Is that appears what happens? Yeah, I mean, clearly clearly, we're meant to think that, yeah. Mm -hmm. That they thought that they were going to get through it, and all of a sudden it closed in around them. Yeah, this is like the Return of the Jedi moment where the Falcon is trying to get out of the, the guts of the second Death Star before it goes kaplooey, and the flames overtake the ship, and it looks like all hope is lost. It's just that there's a delay before we see what happens here, as opposed to the Falcon just shooting out and Lando going, Yee-hoo! <laughs> Or like in Independence Day when Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum. are mm -hmm. in that, that one fighter and they're trying to escape from the ship that just got destroyed. Mm -hmm. And the fires are coming closer and closer and closer to them and it looks like they get engulfed in it. Oh, yes. And then, of course, we see them later having landed back on Earth. Yes. Maybe there is hope for our paladins. Yes, maybe there is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... In space, a Nerva bot flies toward a planet. Inside, a Nerva opens her eyes. Bright sunlight washes over her. On Dibazol now, Zarkon spars with three Galra soldiers. Using a sword, he sends two of them tumbling backwards. The third soldier attacks him. Zarkon holds his sword to the soldier's throat, then smiles at him. He lowers his sword. The soldier sweats and then sighs relief. Zarkon says, you're getting faster. The soldier says, not half as fast as the Emperor. Yeah, I just sort of assumed that that was a young pre-board uh, Sendak, but uh, it, it certainly doesn't have to be. I don't want Sendak in this reality. Yeah, I just figured with, uh, you know, Sendak was someone that Zarkon had claimed in a very early episode that he had trained himself. And it would have been kind of cool to see a purer version of Zarkon teaching uh, a... a Kinder, gentler Sendak, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I don't think any reality has a kinder, gentler Sendak. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we had evil Altaians in a different reality, so, I mean, there's got to be hope. 
That's true. Good call. Okay. So they hear a sonic boom and turn to a Nerva bot floating to the ground. A Nerva watches and then vanishes into black smoke. She reappears just on the ground in front of her bot. She watches in the distance as Zarkon and the others run toward her. She steps toward them. Zarkon raises his sword. Zarkon says, stay back. What's your name? Anerva, she walks towards them and says, you don't recognize me? I've searched beyond the stars to be here. Zarkon says, I said, stay back. Anerva, still walking toward him, says, to be with you. Now out of the shadow and into the light, and she says, and to be with my son. Zarkon's eyes widen and he says, Anerva? The soldiers lower their swords as Zarkon caresses her face. Zarkon says, is it truly you? She closes her eyes and moves her cheek to his hand. Anerva says, it is. So this is probably like the tenderest moment she's had. Mm-hmm. This whole time. <laughs> With her cheek going up against his hand. You know, there, there are so many uh, movies and TV shows where people meet alternate reality versions of past loves and things like that. And of course, one of the deals is that, you know, the two people, even if they had been involved with their other reality counterpart, they don't have the common history together. It seems likely that they'd get along if they crossed realities or whatever, but they have no memories of a, of a past together. They each remember a different version of someone. And so, you know, Anerva, well, you know, if she's going to destroy the universe to meet her perfect reality, uh, I, I assume she's taken this into account. But uh, she doesn't seem to take the reality of this reality all that well with, uh, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I mean, for someone who's thought this through... <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it might have been nice if she, you know, faked a home video or something. Uh, <laughs> so, here, watch this. It really is me. Look, I'm nice. Everything. <laughs> you know, she's had 10,000 years to think this through. I, that's all. <laughs> a little more planning might have helped. Yeah, I don't think she's practiced being nice. That's true. Zarkon says, I never thought I'd see you again. Anerva says, I never doubted. My memory of you and Lotor kept me alive. Tell me, where is my child? Aboard a spaceship, Anerva and Zarkon, Zarkon says, I vowed to raise our son as you would have wanted. He excels in his Altaian studies. Lotor has his mother's intellect. Now, they're on Altea, and Zarkon and Anerva approach Alora, Melanor, and Alfor, Alfor says, Empress Anerva, it is an honor to see you once more. All of Altea will cherish this day. And then Alora says, please come with me. Anerva has a nasty look on her face at the sight of Alora. And Alora says, your son awaits your presence. So this must really get in, in her gut, you know, that why do I have to see Alora? You know? She's, she's probably thinking, Oh, crap, this isn't my perfect reality after all. Allura wasn't hit by a bus. Yeah. <laughs> like Everything else is perfect, but not Allura. <laughs> crap, <Okay>. plan B. <laughs> but can we just point out that I'm, I'm totally digging that this reality's Koran has a ponytail. It, like, looks good on him. <laughs> good call. Yeah, I, I didn't take a close look at that, but yeah, you're right. Koran, Koran, <laughs> the ponytailed man. Yep. <laughs> 
That's how he became gorgeous. <laughs> okay. Anerva scowls as she follows Allura inside the castle. Inside, sitting before a massive computer, a child, Lotor, turns toward Anerva, who enters the room. Anerva says, My son. Lotor smiles and says, Mother? Okay, can we just stop right there and just talk about how adorable this Lotor <laughs> is? I think they did this on purpose. <laughs> oh, for sure. This the big, wide anime eyes and the way he lights up and smiles when he sees her it's like may maybe it's just the mom in me but i was like oh my god baby lotor he's and, so and, cute and he is cute and, and what's very interesting is that you know we've heard that you know lotor it's implied certainly when when we see anerva remember her past that lotor is younger than allura because in part uh, lotor is born after anerva becomes hagarized <laughs> and here we can see that that's true as well i wonder how much of the backstory that the writers and producers put together i wonder how much the relative ages of allura and lotor was based on this one scene so that you'd have Allura looking exactly as she did as of when the real Altea went, went to heck. Uh, and yet Lotor is as cute as a button. You know what I mean? To, to totally sell and maximize the anguish that Anerva suffers here. I wonder how much of the, the backstory was written specifically to make this scene as, as, as gut-wrenching for Anerva as it could be. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because if he'd been a teenager here... Uh, like Allura, this would have been very different because, you know, a lot of teenagers act like, <laughs> act kind of like this little Lotor did, but for different reasons, because uh, they're teenagers. Um, but having him be so young and, and so pure and so openly honest and unfiltered and cute really, really tears at, uh, at Anerva's uh, heart and sanity. And don't forget, we, we saw child Lotor before. In the backstory mm -hmm. with Dayak. Right. And then it became what you said before, the teenage Lotor, who absolutely did not get along with Hagar. Right. But child Lotor was was kind of nice in both the Dayak version and this version. Yep. And it was played by the same voice actor. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. So, Lotor runs toward Anerva then stops just before reaching her. Anerva says, Please, my child, come to me. Lotor backs away, and he says, No. Sarkhan says, Lotor, it's okay, it's your mother, she has returned. Lotor says, She's not my mother. Anerva says, I may appear changed, but I assure you, my love for you is that of a mother for her child. Come to me. Isn't that a funny line to say? It is. I assure you, my love for you is that of a mother for her child. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, she she's not good at motivational speeches. We know that. But dang, that's the best you can say to your kid yeah. or a, a version of your kid. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is where you can definitely see how just how corrupt the, the, the quintessence and the, the dark entity has made her. That. Yeah she it, it's just like this instant transformation when she doesn't get her way which is kind of heartbreaking yeah because yeah. lotor it's it's clear that lotor senses it right at the very beginning you know cause, and, and children typically can sense those kind of things really really quick 
So And remember the last time Lotor saw Anerva, this was when we thought that was a foreshadowing of them getting together again near the end of the show and, and battling it out. But it as it appears, the original older Lotor had, you know, died. But it's this Lotor that really brings an end to Anerva. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So what Lotor said in an earlier season was true from a certain point of view. Yes. <laughs> so that's that's kind of interesting how they played that. Yeah. And 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 it's it's effective here, and, but I got to say it, it still feels unsatisfying to me in the sense that to me the setup was so and and I I'm, I'm sure it was probably meant to be that way. The the setup where, you know, Lotor says, you know, uh I may spare you at the end you know, if you surrender now or whatever, whatever it was that he had told her, it was very, very suggested that the two of them were going to have an, a big showdown at the end of the series. And I'm sure it was made to to feel that way. And then, you know, they would twist it as they've done here. But I really had such high expectations and hopes that they would actually face off. This is a really touching moment. And it obviously it triggers what happens for the rest of the show here. But I, I really wanted to see those two come at it again. Yeah, I, I definitely think that a redemption arc for for Lotor would have been the ultimate. I think if if I could change anything about season eight in general, that's that's where I would diverge from what what canon has given us because I think that it could have been so strong, especially when we see like this emotional connection and whatnot. And again, speaking as a as a as a new mother, like this this would break my heart. <laughs> Not to say that I think I would destroy a bunch of realities. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that I, I would like to believe I'm not that unhinged. <laughs> Some days it feels like I'm on the edge, but... but I, I, <laughs> you mean you're not that much of a psychopath? Uh, you know, typically, what's, today's a, a Wednesday? No. Check <laughs> back tomorrow. I think it depends on the amount of sleep I get. <laughs> Wait till but Monday no, comes around again. Oh my goodness! Don't even remind me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it it just it just kind of plays, and and then you start to see it, especially with when even as Zarkon tries to placate Anerva at this point to be like, you know, let's let's give this some time, you know, <laughs> and and she kind of just loses it, you know, like don't talk to me about time. Let me tell you a thing or two. <laughs> so. So getting back to this, Lotor says one more time, she is not my mother. And Zarkon says, don't speak like that. And Anerva says, please. And she reaches out her hand. And Lotor defiantly says, no. Anerva's eyes widen. And he says, my mother is dead. And you cannot replace her. Zarkon turns to Anerva and says, perhaps this is overwhelming for the boy. Please, if we had some time. <laughs> and and this is where the eyes twitch and things start to go really south. Mm -hmm. A nervous says, time? You speak to me of time? I've spent lifetimes trying to get back. Countless worlds have fallen in the wake of my efforts to return to you. And this is how you welcome me? Her hand powers up a black ball of light. And she says, my own child, my own husband, question who I am? I have sacrificed more than you will ever know. 
Well, I mean, to their credit, she's not their wife and mother. She is different. I mean, she's from a different reality. She certainly isn't the person that they knew. Right. But exactly. Yeah. You know, details. (laughs) How did Anerva die in this reality? We don't know. Yeah. You know, there's that that's left up to interpretation. Maybe, maybe it was the same around the same lines. And she, she knew that this dark entity was there. And the only way to, to stop it was to like sacrifice herself. So we, we, we have no idea, but the, you know, it goes back to the, I've sacrificed more than you ever know. It's like, well, but how much of that was actually yours to sacrifice is kind of the first thought I had was, I mean, you've, you've killed billions of, of people in countless worlds, as you said, like, what gives you the right to mm-hmm. do that? Yeah, cry yeah. me a river. <laughs> and then to have Lotor just reject her like that. <laughs> do, have you guys, um, do you guys ever watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yeah, I have. So, so, so when she's she's going about like you know she's she's done all of this. I've spent all these lifetimes trying to get you back and whatnot. Um, the first thing that I thought of is the, <laughs> the one scene where Jake Peralta's talking to a a perp and whatnot, who's explaining everything, and he goes, "Cool motive, still murder." Um, <laughs> and that's that's go. exactly what I thought of. Like, yeah, that's yeah, you're right. You you did do all of this stuff, but you. Still killed a lot of people. Yep. Yeah. I felt the same way about Lotor in this show. I mean, you know, he, he's a sympathetic character and all that other stuff. But, oh, yeah, he really killed a whole lot of people, regardless of what his motives were. And he manipulated every single person he ever met. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, like mother, like son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then they hear thrusters humming above them. And Zarkon says, what is that? Anerva looks up wide-eyed to see the hybrid flying toward them. It's Voltron! Anerva uh, says, no, it cannot be. Zarkon turns to Anerva and says, you brought this abomination upon us? And yes, she did! Yeah. <laughs> He's right on the money. He says, you are not the Empress, you are not my wife. Guards! Guards! Now Anerva scowling says, if there is no place in this universe for me, and then she disappears into black smoke, but her voice still trails on, then there will be no universe at all. So outside the hybrid stands before the castle, people are screaming, Altaians are running away. The hybrid turns to see the Anerva bot drop down from above in front of them. Inside the bot, Anerva materializes surrounded by black smoke. Outside, standing before the hybrid, a Nervabot spreads its wings. Then we see a split screen with six paladins on the left and a Nerva on the right. The end. It's a pretty good place to, to end it. If, if I can't have what I want, then I'm going to destroy everything. Well, don't forget, they had a, a tough enough time against a Nervabot when she was just trying to get to the one reality she wanted. Now that she realizes she wants to destroy the whole universe, I don't think you want to get in her way. I mean, this is going to be even worse than before, I think. Yeah, which is why it's a cliffhanger ending. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And only one episode left to go for this whole show. (sighs) Yeah, I definitely had to pause in between this one and and the next one. I was like, oh... How, how are we going to tie up all of these loose ends within another 23 minutes? And what do you think happened to Koran and his reality? 
I don't know. Yeah, but... I mean, it, it kind of feels like they they might have perished in the the explosion. I mean, because it might have been the, the the beginning of that reality ending. Yeah, I mean, in, in the final episode, spoilers, they talk about, oh, there's only one reality left. There is no reason to assume that it's the reality that our heroes come from. Right. Exactly. So, ugh, this is getting ugly. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. So, what did we think of this episode in setting up the final episode? Um, it works. <laughs> Okay. I mean, the, the stakes are higher. Now she's a complete loose cannon. There's nothing to stop her from... I mean, in theory, up to this point, she could have met her perfect reality. Zarkon and Lotor would have embraced her, and she would have, you know, backed away from the ledge, you know? A at least for a while. Maybe she would have, you know, been been nice and happy, and maybe even, you know, thrown her robeast into the sun, and, and everybody would have been safe. But uh, now that she's got nothing left to lose, the universe has everything to lose. How about when she gets to that one reality where she's hunky-dory with husband and son... How about she doesn't have any powers anymore? How about that? It would have been nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, having all this magic power and everything like that doesn't make for a really pleasant reality, does it? No. Especially since she embraces the dark kind of magic. Yeah, I mean, just imagine ha had they all gotten along well. The, uh, Anerva, the alternate Zarkon, and Lotor. What would have happened the first time that Lotor uh, spilled ketchup on the sofa. Or <laughs> or somebody or, did anything to piss her off. Yeah, tracked mud into the house or Zarkon changes from the changes to the uh, you know the the whatever the Altaian uh, football channel is or something and and Anerva got ticked off. I wanted to watch that cooking show, darn you. I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> You think Christmas just happens? You think these these presents just get wrapped all by themselves? Uh-huh. This I wonderful mean, dinner and all of your family coming together at Christmas time just happens all by itself? I don't think so. <laughs> I sacrificed so much time going to every single space mall trying to find you that perfect toy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she's not well. Yeah. And now the rest of the universe is not well. Right. Do you guys feel sorry for Inerva? Or are you just like, she's she's dug her, dug her own grave and she gets what she gets in the next episode like how do you guys feel about that i don't feel sorry for her but i am afraid of her right now <laughs> I, I feel like we're supposed to feel sorry for her but i don't and and i know that maybe that sounds cold and and all that but i mean look at what she's done i mean it's like again it's like you know i only wanted to re-meet my family that i lost because i got corrupted with quintessence and pursued it relentlessly for decades, killed millennia, you know, killed people over millennia. It's I'm sorry. You did all that stuff. You've killed many people. You're destroying all of existence. And yeah, I'm sorry. You crying is not going to make you feel sorry, feel sorry for you. I, I, I know that that may sound mean, but okay. It is, <laughs> oh, you know, cool what? motive, still murder. Yeah. Yeah, what what do you think of her by the end of the series? This, even as late as in the next episode where Allura says, you know, where, where Anerva seems to say, oh, wow, um, you know, she seems to almost accept 
some level of responsibility and say, well, there's no hope anyway. And that's probably her lowest and most sympathetic point. What do you, Lexi, think of Anerva during this whole time? I, I see it both ways. Um, I definitely do not feel sorry for her in the sense that I, I feel that she's created so much wrong and that there's, there's not, doesn't feel like there's anything that can be done to, to help redeem that. Um, but at the same time, I maybe maybe it's not that I condone her actions and behaviors, but I understand where she's coming from a little bit. You know, like uh, when we first meet Anerva, when she's studying the the energy and the quintessence and everything, you know, it's it's purely from a scientific kind of point of view, and and we start to slowly see that that breakdown. And so it's like it makes you question like who who's really the enemy it's it's cuz if you think about it it's truly this dark entity that's created this entire issue and then it goes back to the idea of human nature and how we become corrupt you know absolute power corrupts absolutely which is a very machiavellian way to think of things but mm-hmm. i feel sorry for the circumstances that have led her to to this point but i don't feel sorry for her in the sense that i believe that she can be redeemed. Yeah. Um, I, I, I truly feel like, you know, whereas I felt a little different about Lotor, at thir- I first thought, I was like, oh no, he's, he's manipulative. He's got, he's, he's no good. Something, something terrible is going to happen. But, you know, if what we can believe from those flashbacks about him trying to rule in a more, I, I want to say not just manner, but a more humane, humane manner, like, trying to make the best of the circumstances given like i feel that lotor is more deserving of redemption than i, w- I would say anerva is yes in this story yes yeah. definitely <laughs> not in the original uh voltron defender of the universe oh no oh god in, <laughs> in, the, in the defender of the universe version lotor is just a skis ball like this yeah that's <laughs> He is. I've never heard him called that before. <laughs> Skis ball. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, but I think that that's kind of like part of the point, you know, like the stories, you know, VLD is not just about like, you know, war or, or magic sentient robots or anything. I mean, that's obviously what, what keeps us going, but you know, there's, there's so many tie-ins to this idea of like family and, friendship and found family and this idea of hope and and finding the courage to make things right and and i feel like that's where we're all trying to head with with this do i believe in my personal opinion that it was successful probably not (laughs) but that's that's just one one person's opinion so let's talk about these dark entities arguably i think a fair argument can be made that everything that happens in this entire series uh, happens because of those dark entities, as you kind of alluded to, Mark. Um, you know, the comet, I mean, you could say, well, it's the comet's fault. And because the Voltron's made of the comet, it's it's Voltron's fault. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the comet smashes into Dibazol. Anerva begins to investigate just, just out of curiosity and wanting to see what the heck's going on. Then dark entities happen. And everything falls out from that. What do you think of the dark entities as a plot device? You know, just thinking about it from a story perspective, everybody, I mean, you know, Zarkon still had this, this, 
definite sense of class hierarchy and you know we don't talk with the the servant class and and oh wow i really love to have some more power i mean that that stuff was baked into him to a point before all the dark entity stuff happened and the quintessence stuff happened what do you think of of dark entities these things that you never really get to know or understand being what drives everything in the show I think it would have been better if we would have seen those dark entities take over some good people like Laura when she took the dark entity with inside her. We were thinking that there was going to be an evil Laura at some point. Mm -hmm. it, it never mm -hmm. happened. I would have liked to have explored what would it be like if one of our, you know, true blue heroes turned evil against the other ones. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, what about you, Lexi? No, I I definitely agree. I mean, it's it kind of plays on like the the classic idea of of what is more scary in a villain, um, like a non-human like antagonist, or if it's or a human one. So like, and I think that we like want to truly believe that all humans are like human nature makes us pure and innocent, and then that something corrupts us. Um, and I feel like that's what they were kind of playing off of. Is like, oh, it's 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 not a nervous fault. It's the entity or, and things of that nature. And I feel it, it, rem, it reminds me of like, um, like any, any like horror films and whatnot, like with, with, with vampires, like for the most part, you're supposed to think, Oh, like vampires are evil. They, they kill people. They, they suck their blood, you know, and, and, and whatnot. But it's like, well, but are they kind of a victim of their own circumstances? They, they need this to survive. And, in a lot of situations, they're not necessarily like I don't I don't know the origins or history of, of vampires. Cause, I mean, I, mean I, I know a lot. I have no idea how that com comes to be, but uh, it seems like a lot of people that become those don't have any choice in it, and it's it's kind of the same thing. Anerva didn't have a choice; the entity kind of took over. It's so weird <laughs> to think about it that way. We saw when Karan got affected by the earworm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't turn him necessarily evil, but it got him to the point where he wasn't thinking straight, clearly. Mm -hmm. And he ended up doing something that caused a lot of harm to a lot of people. And he brought that, uh, that creature from from the Clear Day planet. What was it called? The Mirakeet? The Swathian Mirakeet. The Swathian Mirakeet. He brought that to the place where the Voltron show was happening on the Bebo B planet. Mm -hmm. And that could have caused a lot of problems. Yeah. And all they wanted was to do was to make a great TV show. It wasn't his fault. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. But... yeah. He became obsessed with it. Yeah. And then it's like this. So, so is it, is it that the, the creature itself is the thing that's causing these issues or is it just almost amplifying like how people actually are like Koran wanted to the show to be, you know, bigger and better. Um, and so then the creature kind of amplified that desire into a way that made it unsafe. Maybe the same kind of idea that Anerva wanted to see where things were going and definitely wanted to, like, I mean, if you think about it at the, at the core, all she wanted to do was get an opportunity to be with her son and her husband again. Um, and when you take it like that, you're like, yes, I can understand where you're coming from. But the whole the ends justify the means in order for me to get that idea to, and to get to get that back, like 
did she always have that kind of clinical look at as long as I get what I want and the results that I desire, that it's okay. And then the, the dark, like the rift creatures just kind of amplified that or that's, I think that's the, the deeper meta connection I, I was trying to make is was she completely evil in the first place? And it was, or it was, was it she amplified in a, an idea that she, she'd already had? Yeah. Great mm. questions. And yeah. and it just makes me, I mean, there's, there's a philosophical thing there, but then there's the, you know, as a plot device, just going back to it as a writing device, these are faceless, nameless, uh, unrelatable bugs. Whether we're talking about the conscious Neasy mind enhancer, the earworm that gets in Koran, or these dark entities from the quintessence field, they are things that we will never get. I mean, with things that we never did get to see, we could have, we could have gotten into the mind of one of those earworms or one of these dark entities, as, as, uh, as you mentioned, Mark, if, if we had begun to learn what happens to someone like Allura being affected by one of these, then we would maybe get an understanding of what these creatures are all about. But because we don't have any insight into these creatures, they become almost like, um, what do they call it? A MacGuffin? You know, like you have a spy movie. We've got to get the secret plans to whatever. You know what I mean? That, that It doesn't even matter what's in the briefcase. It is the thing. What do you think about... I, I just... I, I have no strong opinion on this. But when you think about... You know, all of this is caused by things. MacGuffins. Something in a briefcase. That we never get into the mind of. Does that, does that affect... You know, maybe Anerva really was pure and it's just a bug. <laughs> it was just a bug. Uh, and, and Zarkon and all that. I, I I don't really have a point to what I'm asking, except it, it just makes me wonder, isn't it okay for bad for people who are uh, uh, bad to be bad? I mean, I don't mean to be two-dimensional. I am evil. <laughs> but, you know, do they need a bug? to turn like they did or whether, whether it's this dark entity or the quintessence, because in uh, the legend begins, you know, Oh wow, I'm stuck in the quintessence field and Lotor gets stuck in there. They get turned mad that way. And then there's the dark entity way to get, get twisted and evil. Is it, is it okay in a show like this to just have someone be misguided despite their best intentions without the need for quintessence to rot their brain or these dark entities to get in and suggest awful things. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Remember when we saw the legend begins, mm -hmm. we had asked the question before when they formed Voltron for the first time, what were they defending the universe against? Yeah. We never point. found out who the enemies were back then. That's true. You just don't, you know, be like have a trans reality comet land and you're like, oh, this material is, is made of something super strong. You know what we should do? We should create these giant robot cats that can turn into a robot that can defend things. Defend them from what? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure something will come along. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. What did they feel so strongly about that they needed a super weapon like Voltron to defend the universe? What was it that was the big threat before the Gaul Empire became the big threat? Yeah, great question. I and 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 that to me is one of the uh, one of the biggest unanswered questions that I really hoped we would learn in this show is why lions. Now we know from because Defender of the Universe, which is because Beast King go lion, and and even in those shows we never really get a, a, a satisfactory explanation. The third dimension 
kind of has an explanation, which is, is probably the best explanation we ever got is the one in the third dimension. But I really hoped this show would have had its own spin on that. And, and, and it probably does. It's just unstated and we'll never really know. So I, I always wondered that as well. I mean, Alfor built the lions, but he said that the material seemed to engineer itself. And then, oh, wow, these lions can combine. Amazing. They've got abilities I hadn't dreamt of. You know, they're, they're evolving. And so how much of that was Alfor building them? Was he designing them to look like lions or, or combine into a robot? How much of that was something else? And what was the something else that was driving that? And again, to what end? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of like the, the whole like, oh, well, this literally turned everybody evil thing. I mean, because there's the... They, they kind of like hint at this the entire time that, uh, you know, Lotar wants to, he creates the second colony and whatnot to, to, to save Altaian culture and, and trying to defy his father. Zarkon does whatever he can to save his wife by, you know, using the quintessence because he thinks that that's going to save her. Anerva uses, like, she goes back in time to try and fix what she perceives as a wrong on her end. Like, it's it's always this. I, I, I feel like they have good intentions, Yes, but, yeah, that's yeah, best yeah, they, they, they're all good intentions, but but the way that things are pan out and it's like is that because of their personal nature, like their human nature or well, human as we know it, but like the right. the, the typical nature or right. or is it, is it is it something beyond that? Is it just the bugs? It, yeah, well, it, I think it, it kind of reminds me of, like, in The Walking Dead. Shout out to Stephen Yoon and two of these things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, do we, is it truly the zombies that we are fearing, or is it the society that's trying to deal in this post-apocalyptic world after? Like, who is more of a danger? Is it the zombies or the people that are left surviving? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and I, I... Zombies were used as a crutch almost. Yeah. Yeah, is it? Yeah, and I, and I and I I feel like you know we're maybe we're using these dark entities as a crutch to try and explain away why things are happening, why 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 things have gone the way that they have, and maybe not all the entire show, but but quite a bit of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because there's terrible things going on all around you doesn't mean you have to turn bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's. The, the the whole the whole good versus evil I mean it, I mean it's it's not black and white it's there's if if history has taught me anything there is a large gray area yeah to these and and I almost feel like these bugs have taken the gray out of it yes the the dark entities and the and, and I don't want to go back to the thing that gets in Koran's head but because ultimately it's these dark entities that have driven all of this and I feel like that that has truly taken the gray out of a whole lot of the of the drama it's because once I mean by the end of the series everyone is getting along I mean you've got your skeptics like Lon you've got the the Altean uh, uh, acolytes everyone is now on an even playing field. And Allura says, well, we don't need Voltron anymore. Now it's up to the people. And my thought at this point is, well, then there's nothing to worry about because everyone's happy now. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> Until a new horrible menace threatens the galaxy. Like, yes. That's... another. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's going to be the Unalu. I, I never <laughs> trusted those Unalu. Yeah. 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 The Paul Rubens Unalu, the, uh, the swap shopkeeper. Yes. 
They're always looking to scam us. Yeah, so the sequel is uh, Pidge really wants that game back. And, you know, the, <laughs> uh, something gets into her from some other reality, and she's got to do everything she can to get Killbot Phantasm, was it 25 or whatever? 26. 26. So, yeah, there's your next series right there. <laughs> Pidge is a big bad. You heard she it. goes back to the shopkeeper and she says, oh, by the way, uh, we brought back all realities. So we saved your butt. So I think that's worth giving me back the game. But that's a lot less dramatic than what I had in mind. But it's probably more realistic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, anyway, we we kind of dived pretty deeply here at the end, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. We, we did. That definitely took a more philosophical turn than I, than I thought it would. Yeah, well... But that's what I that's what I overall love about this show. I mean, because you can you can take it at the surface level of um, like, you know, the, the friendship and the, the cool robot action scenes. And then the, the typical there, there's there's an evil force and good and they battle it out. Or you can go delve deeper and look at like the, the individual characters and their their arcs and, and how things like coincide and what would have happened in, in this situation and. I thought that they did a really good job with the idea of alternate realities. And if, if there were ever to be spinoffs, I think that that would be the bread and butter is focusing on these alternate realities and maybe like see this evil Altaian reality a little bit more or, or other situations where, you know, is there a world where there isn't a need for a Voltron and, and everybody's doing like mundane things <laughs> Yeah, I think the biggest lesson out of this is don't burn bridges. If you, you know, feel like you're getting a better deal somewhere else, don't, you know, tear apart all the, you know, relationships that you've built up to this point. Because if you burn all your bridges and then you get to the last one and that one doesn't work out, you've pretty much destroyed every chance of you having a good relationship with anyone. Yeah, good point. And I just had a stray thought. What if Voltron came together, and I mean formed itself from the Comet Ore, or Alphor guided it with his Orion-educated uh, alchemy and all this? What if Voltron was defending the universe against Voltron? Because what do you have here? You have the Transreality Comet smashing into Divazol, and ultimately it unleashes those dark entities. Did the comet somehow with the quintessence in its ore have did the comet create voltron to defend the universe from the dark entities that voltron inadvertently introduced into the universe yeah i mm. definitely a different take on it i don't i don't... my head's starting to explode <laughs> <laughs> mine too well, <laughs> If we go too too far in, then then we get into the, to the last season. It's a vicious circle. I, it is a vicious circle, and I, there's a, there's so much that, especially once you get to the the last. I, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing your guys's review of of the last episode and what transpires without you know spoiling it on Dumbledore dies. <laughs> oh my god, I spoiled. Um, <laughs> but you know, because I've read a lot of like fan theories and things of like, or like how it should have ended type type ideas. And they're that, that actually great. That's one of the ideas that comes to, back to play is like how Voltron becomes full circle. And it was actually a, a really interesting idea of like, you know, 
there's a lot of talk about sacrifice, but but does it have to be a person? Does Nerva have to sacrifice herself to to right these wrongs, or could it be Voltron? Yeah. Could it be the lions? That I mean, we we sacrificed the castle of lions. What yeah. what 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 could have been the the reality where the lions themselves sacrifice, or and and maybe that's the the full circle of the the comment. I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually had that idea. Uh, and, I, I, you know, everybody's got their theories about how they thought the show would end. And I ha- I certainly had my predictions about how the show would end. But it was very much was more overtly full circle with Voltron. Yeah. Uh, the lions would have sacrificed themselves. And ultimately, the lions and Lotor in the Syncline Beast in my little world uh, actually would have sacrificed themselves to protect the universe and would have become melted into the comet that crashes into Dibazol through a time loop. But uh, but that's just my little thing. I like everybody's got their thoughts about what they had, had expected. So uh, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> there's so much out there. I think we're, we we all have our own. Uh, it always reminds me of the the first season with the with Keith's shack and the the giant bulletin board with all of the the things attached to it and whatnot. That's that's how I feel like everybody's analysis of season eight has been. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I, I pretty much stopped thinking about what I wanted to happen. Once I saw the season, I just thought, okay, well, there's the season. And I threw, I threw my own prediction idea. Obviously, it was way wrong, and, and I just stopped thinking about what could have been because it would never be. <laughs> hey, season 8 was what season 8 was, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, so. you know, that's... Uh, that, that's why, you know, fan fiction and fan art exists, you know, like... Right. With yep. the, the, the fans that, that have been, you know expecting a different outcome or wanted a different outcome. I mean, there's a lot of, of really cool stories out there there, of their takes of how, how they would have switched it or even keeping with Canon up to the very end and then how they would continue on the storylines. And I think that that's like the most fantastic thing about this fandom is that it's, it's been how many months since season eight Mm -hmm. and it's, we're still thriving on social media Obviously, your the the podcast is going strong. There's there's still a lot of talk about it. People g- had a great connection to VLD that they're not willing to let go. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the most fantastic thing about this entire show um, was how much it connected both older fans of you know Defender of the Universe and uh, and other iterations, and then these new fans that have been exposed to both sides. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Totally. Oh definitely. So I want to thank you for having joined us for this uh, second to last episode review for season eight of Voltron Legendary Defender. Thank you very much, Lexi. Thank you. It was a pleasure as always. I, uh, I'm so grateful that you guys wanted to have me back and I really enjoyed uh, delving in to this on such a metaphysical level with you. <laughs> yeah, we got pretty deep. Yes. <laughs> it's not the end though. No, no, it's never the end. Yeah, Mark uh, texted me earlier this week. He said, here's what we're going to record next week and the week after that and the week after that. And I'm like, wow, this this podcast is very much marching along. And, oh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot in store and, and and obviously way beyond the stuff that you've already outlined, Mark. We have a, a lot of great Voltron stuff to talk about with our listeners and fellow fans. And so uh, although our journey with reviewing Voltron Legendary Defender is almost over, there's a whole lot more Voltron greatness coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> we will not stop. Yeah. 
it's it's pretty amazing (laughs) yeah it's been a whole lot of chatter about that mighty robot loved by good and feared by evil yep so we want to thank you for joining us on this uh podcast and we'll see you all next time on let's voltron (laughs) 